The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Everyone, my name is Victor, and I will be reading today's scripture. May I ask everyone to please stand as I read? Today I'll be reading Matthew 5, verses 1 through 10. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to read this now in French. Voir le feu, Jésus monte sur la montagne, et après qu'il se assis, ses disciples approcheront de lui. Puis ayant ouvert la bouche, il enseignait et a dit, Heureux le pauvre en esprit, car le royaume de Dieu est à eux. Heureux les affichés, car ils seront consolés. Heureux les débonnaires, car ils héritent la terre. Heureux ceux qui seront faits à soif de la justice, car ils seront rassisés. Heureux ceux qui prochent la paille, car ils seront appelés le fils de Dieu. Heureux ceux qui sont persécutés pour la justice, car le royaume de Dieu est à eux. Ça, c'est les paroles de Dieu. You can be seated. Victor, how many languages do you speak, man? Three. I mean, you're such an, an underachiever. I don't know why you... Uh, I guess I've got to put this back here. All right. Well, good morning and welcome to Story City Church. We are so excited that you are here. Welcome to the Burbank location. Before we go any farther, there are some seats right here in the front in the splash zone. I mean, it's like enough space, so I don't think it's exactly that. But uh, if you're warm outside and you're looking for a little bit of respite, there is uh, a number of seats right up in the front. You'd be good to go. Well, again, welcome, whether you're joining us outside, inside, or online. We are excited to have you here this morning. I say Burbank location because we also have a church in Granada Hills, even though we're all meeting together right now. Uh, Story City is a family of churches with the same heart with the same values and the same practices. And as a church family, we exist to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and each other. Ultimately, that means that we have to be a people who are gospel-saturated. What does that mean? Gospel-saturated means that every one of us is having a daily encounter with God, both in his word and in action. And to become healthy, we have to learn how to believe the gospel, to know what the gospel is, and to learn how to live it out into community, and then communicate that with our everyday lives. You see, the gospel isn't just that Jesus died and rose again. That's certainly a part of it. But the gospel is also that we are day by day becoming more and more like Jesus. As his apprentices Our old nature dies day by day, and someday when Jesus returns, 
He will bring heaven down to merge the physical and the spiritual once and for all, and there will be no separation between God and mankind. That is an incredible thing. I look very much forward to this day, especially after the last couple weeks. I don't know about you guys, but there are some days where I wish for heaven sooner than later. I do want to say thank you for your prayers. Um, I would say that after last week, I know um, Tyler and I, uh, I definitely felt those prayers. We appreciate them. I can tell you that uh, spiritually I'm refreshed. I'm still physically and emotionally and mentally exhausted, as are most of the team here, but uh, we, we really do appreciate your prayers for us. And as we are exhausted, there's parts of our old nature that uh, have come up this week that, uh, you know, there's days where we're just more agitated than other days. I like the word angsty. Angsty is how I feel. Uh, sometimes, and so this morning I was a little bit angsty, and I was honestly like just praying during worship this morning. I was like, Andy's angsty. How am I not going to be angsty? Uh, you know, this is one of those things, but, but praise God that uh, two things. Here's what you need to know. One, God is in more control than I am, which is a beautiful thing, but two, the power of the Word of God is not based on my ability. The power of the word of God is based on the power of scripture. And so God is good regardless of how I feel. And so we're going to stand in that and claim that this morning. Are you with me on that? Praise God. All right, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've discovered that everything Jesus has been talking about is to help us understand how the kingdom of God actually works. Like a broken bone that's been healing out of, a sign, out of alignment, Jesus has, has taken our ideas of the kingdom of God and he's broken them to reset them so that they grow back in a healthy way to understand how it's really supposed to be. And Jesus lays this foundation for us. He says, if we want to know and see God, we have to be poor in spirit. When we're poor in spirit, it, it will lead us to a place where we mourn our wickedness and our uh, hopelessness without him. It leads us to a place of meekness where we realize that we have nothing good to offer God for his favor and love, but we also don't carry our sin and shame around because those don't belong to us anymore. Jesus took them on the cross for us. Jesus says we can't accomplish this on our own, but we can ask him to want those things, and he will give us that hunger and thirst for righteousness. As God fills us with a hunger and thirst for righteousness, the result is that we become merciful, undivided in our hearts, towards Jesus, and we become peacemakers. And so the result of having the right heart attitude leads us to live out our faith in real and tangible ways. In other words, the more we encounter the gospel that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus, the more we see the gospel is not just that Jesus came and died and rose again, but it's our continual renewal, our continual renewal and restoration to be the people that God created us to be. That's hope. That is hope. The more we're transformed by the gospel, the more we become like Jesus. And then comes the good news. The next part is that we will be persecuted. You're like, why are you smiling? (laughs) Because sometimes that's all you can do. (laughs) If you're taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. Persecution is inevitable if we are to be apprentices of Jesus. Persecution is inevitable if we are to be apprentices of Jesus. What do I mean by apprentices of Jesus? I love this. I heard a pastor named John Mark Comer use this phrase. I really love how helpful it is. A person who is an apprentice is someone who learns at the feet of a master. In the same way, we are to learn about who Jesus is and how he loves 
the same way the disciples did, by sitting at his feet and listening to his voice, by following and practicing his way of engaging people, his way of following the Father. In the biker community, we call this prospecting, prospecting. Our people would prospect over a year. And the more time that you spend with your sponsor when you prospect, the more you learn to think and talk and live as a patched member, the more you learn all the nuanced rules, the things that no one talks about but everyone expects you to understand. But if we just say that the more, the more that we become like something, that means that we also become less like something, right? We don't just move to something. You have to move away from something. And the thing that we move away from is our old self. I become less like my old self. We become less like people who are not apprenticing Jesus. And this is where the conflict actually arises from. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that if we want to be more like Jesus, that we should take ourselves out of the world to live in some sort of holy huddle. Uh, those of you who are not Christians in this room, just give me a, a, a side note here, a reprieve. Uh, Christians, we have done a terrible job. We say, God is no longer in our schools. God is no longer in our government. God is no longer, you know, that's actually not true. We are no longer in those places because we have not fulfilled our responsibility to be in those places. We've created our, our, our own special things where, where we have our own special music. We have our own schools. We have our own places where we, we, we go, well, we need to protect our way of life. And instead of infiltrating and being a godly example of what it means to be in those places, we create our own little holy huddles and we wonder why we don't have any influence in those places. It's, that's on us. We've gotten to the place where we have our own mints, testaments, if you haven't seen it. Do we really need our own mints, people? <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but the reality is, is if we want to see culture change, then stop being weirdos. <laughs> just be normal people right where you live and show who Jesus is, right? We can clap at that, yeah, because that's for us. <laughs> Holy cow. The answer is for us to engage community by, by loving Jesus, by not being weird, by just being normal in the places that God has called us to, around the water cooler, around the food trucks, on set, wherever God has called you to, just love Jesus faithfully. Sometimes it's better just to shut our mouths and show by our actions that God has told us to be who we're supposed to be and love people in a way that makes it obvious that Jesus is different in us. And when the time comes, then speak clearly and follow your convictions of what God has said, but do it in love. See, here's the funny part. As many of us experienced, I don't know about you, but actually the most hurt I've ever experienced has not been from outside the church, but inside the church. I've actually been hurt more inside the church. People who are at church for a different reason than to truly know and love Jesus. Look, church is filled with jacked up people. Do you want to know something? Story City is filled with hypocrites. At least we own it. You know where liars go? Story City. <laughs> right? We, we are a collection of jacked up people. Why? Because we are sinners. Because we're broken. 
We don't have our stuff together, but Jesus does. And Jesus is transforming us day by day. And if we can understand that, hey, we're just a group of broken people who are on the journey together with Jesus and we're thankful for his incredible grace, his incredible mercy, and the way that he just loves us through sometimes each other when we really need that kind of grace. But oftentimes I haven't received that grace from inside the church. You know what I'm talking about. I heard a lot of applause when I said that. There are sometimes people here who are here not because they truly want to know and love Jesus because they don't want to admit that they're broken. There's even people who perhaps think they're Christians but don't really want to submit their lives to experience true change by allowing Jesus into those intimate spaces. In his book, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, If you try to imitate Christ, the world will praise you. If you become Christ-like, it will hate you. What's the difference? To imitate Christ is to simply be good to the best of our ability. It's moral at its very core. But some of the most moral people that I know want nothing to do with Jesus. Becoming Christ-like is not about being good. We've already established we can't do that well. We can do good things. But we can't do good at its core without Jesus. And so if becoming Christ-like is not about being good, what is it? It's about loving Jesus and his way and his will over ours, over our desires, over our inclinations, over our way of doing things even over our own reputations. It's to desire Jesus and rely on Jesus with every aspect of our beings. Jesus said he did nothing except what the Father gave him to do. People who don't apprentice Jesus but say they admire him don't really know who Jesus is. If they did, they would hate him just as his contemporaries did. I think Many people think Jesus is just a nice man who never really offended anybody, or if he did, it was just the religious people. They think he was a man who was about love, but not a love that includes justice or judgment. And so if we're apprenticing Jesus to become Christ-like, we will experience persecution. Well, then what is persecution? Let's be honest, there are all kinds of different persecution, are there not? There's all kinds of different persecution. I have connections with some pastors in Russia who, uh, pre-COVID, were being arrested for baptizing people. It became a law that if you baptize, you're going to get arrested for it. They said, we, we, we have to disobey that law. That goes against Scripture. We're going to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We love Jesus, and we face jail. We face jail, and they were. They were getting arrested. I have not had an update since covid but things were spiraling out of control pretty fast for them. I have a friend, uh, a pastor in Slovakia. I love dearly. Irvin Middleman, if you're watching this morning, I love you, brother. Um, Irvin faces all kinds of persecution from inside the church. The Catholic Church believes that anything outside the Catholic Church in Slovakia is not only a sin, that he's a heretic. And so families have been excommunicated from the church for allowing their children to go to his church. He hasn't spoken out against the Catholic Church. He's simply spoken for Jesus, and yet his 
family and he had been persecuted, treated like cult members. But being arrested or even killed for practicing our faith is not the kind of persecution that we're facing in the United States of America. That doesn't mean that we don't face persecution every single day. Some of you have faced it firsthand. How about the denial of work? If you hold your convictions about the roles or boundaries you will accept, the judgment about who you are and how you go about your life before you've done anything to warrant it simply because somebody knows your belief system. By the way, that's not just limited to Christianity. Exclusion from friend groups or conversations because of those judgments. I mean, why does it even happen? And Dr. Jones explains it like this. He says, there is something about the Christian character due to its being like the character of the Lord himself, which always calls forth this persecution. No one was ever so persecuted in this world as the Son of God himself. The non-apprentice of Jesus tends to revile, to persecute, and to speak all manner of evil falsely against a Christian. Why? Because he's fundamentally different. And the non-Christian recognizes this. The Christian is not just like everyone else with a slight difference. They are essentially different. They have a different nature and are different in who they are. If you're taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day. Not all persecution is blessed. Not all persecution is blessed. Remember what I said. We are blessed when we face persecution because of what? What did the scripture say? We're faced with persecution because of righteousness. I know people who think you must be an American Republican to be a Christian. I know people who think you must be an American Democrat to be a Christian. In fact, I read a story about a church in the South that decided to read the Sermon on the Mount in a more contemporary version. As they read Jesus' sermon in plain language, one of the church members got up and said, I've had it with all this liberal BS and walked out. I also have friends who think the Bible is nothing more than a call to socialism and social justice filled with activism, but no call for spiritual reform. If you confuse the governments of this world with the kingdom of God and belligerently express your point to anyone who listens, you are not being persecuted for righteousness sake when you get blasted by those who disagree with you. The Bible doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are opinionated religious jerks. (laughs) It doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are unwise in how they communicate their faith. It doesn't say, blessed are those who are overzealous fanatics. In fact, let's go so far as to say it doesn't even say, Blessed are those who are persecuted while pursuing a good cause. When Abel was killed by his brother Cain in Genesis chapter 4, it wasn't for anything more than Abel was following the narrow, difficult way of apprenticing, and it made Cain look bad. When the first century Jewish believers in Jesus rounded up, thrown in jail, 
beaten and martyred. It wasn't because they were fanatics dying for a cause. They were quietly trying to be apprentices of Jesus. That is suffering for righteousness' sake. Paul tells his apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12, but you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, uh, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm sorry, let me read that again. I might have read that wrong. Verse 12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus was unfairly persecuted, and he suffered If we are to be apprentices of the master Jesus, we will be unfairly persecuted and will suffer too. See, the problem is, is that for some reason, we have this idea in our heads that that as long as things are going well, then God is pleased with us and everything is fine. And the moment we hit hardship or trial or persecution or things aren't working right, then then somehow suddenly God must be displeased or, or it's persecution or things are going wrong. But the reality is, is that we will suffer. We will face persecution and it will be unfair. If you're taking notes today, this is our third and final observation for the day. How we respond to suffering matters. How we respond to suffering matters. There's no way to even begin talking about all the possible ways we could suffer for righteousness' sake. But that's not really what matters. What matters is the way in which the apprentice of Jesus faces these things. We must be like Jesus in the face of his persecution. What does that mean? Practically, it means we must not retaliate. Man, that's a hard one for me. God has done so much work in me that, that um, at least I'm not in the place where I, I fight at the drop of a hat like when I was growing up, but I'm certainly quick with a retort, quick with a remark, quick with a biting comment. It's still retaliation. Quick to tell people how I've been wronged and to justify myself by explaining my side when the other person's not there. I've done that. But practically, it means we must not retaliate, not just in our actions, but even in the way we talk. But wait, there's more. Not only do we not retaliate, but we also must not feel resentment towards towards those who are persecuting us. What? We must not feel resentment towards those who are persecuting us. That's easy, right? But wait, there's more. Not only do we not retaliate or feel resentment, but we shouldn't even allow it to make us depressed. Jesus says, rejoice, be exceedingly glad. Not just like barely glad, just kind of getting by, exceedingly glad. This is, if we're living as our old selves, this is impossible. It's impossible. But this is what we, as we are following Jesus' teaching and example, are called to be. Now, obviously, we don't rejoice in the persecution itself. That would be sin. How so? If we rejoice in the person, persecution itself, we're essentially saying, I'm so happy I'm persecuted, it shows I'm better than everybody else who's not being persecuted to my level. And it shows that I'm better 
than those who are persecuting me. A persecution is something the apprentice of Jesus should always regret because it means that there are people who, because of sin and their own brokenness, are dominated by Satan and behaving in an inhumane and devilish manner. It means that there is some part of them that is so broken that what they are perpetrating against you, this persecution, is because of their brokenness and sin. And instead of going, man, I'm so great that you're persecuting me because I'm so righteous, we should go, my heart breaks that you are broken and I wish that you would come to know Jesus in the way that I do. I wish you would come to know Jesus more than I do. I wish you would come to know Jesus in a way that you could experience him so that you weren't broken like this. Our hearts should break at the lostness and the hopelessness of their situation without Jesus. Jesus is actually calling us to hurt for them, not to hate and despise them. So what are we rejoicing in? If you're actually being persecuted for righteousness' sake, you are living proof of your identity in Jesus. You can't be persecuted for righteousness' sake if there is no righteousness in you. But if you are an apprentice of Jesus, then you are living in his righteousness, not your own. If you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, then you are starting to look and live like Jesus. That is something we can absolutely rejoice in. That's something that should bring us great joy and incredible satisfaction. That should allow us to go, yes, I can be happy about that. That we're seeing progress, not from our own hard work or effort, but in our spending time at Jesus' feet as we apprentice him, that we're beginning to look like the master. The Bible says that those who persevere to the end receive their reward in heaven, eternal life with Jesus as restored, renewed creation, perfectly reflecting the living God. That is our hope. That's the gospel. We have been saved we are being saved, and we will be saved. As the worship team comes back up, I want you to know that as apprentices of Jesus, there's something incredible about the fact that we live in his righteousness as a result of his death and his resurrection. We are being made into his image each and every day. And one day he will return and restore all creation to its proper standing before him. We're excited about that here at Story City, and we hope you are too. And so if you want to know more about becoming an apprentice of Jesus, or you want to take the next step and be baptized, or you simply want to ask a question to be prayed for, please meet us at the next step table. There's one in the lobby. There is one outside, or you can click on the link online. We would love to pray with you and for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for how good you are. We praise you that it's not our righteousness that we have to stand in, but Father, your son, Jesus is. We thank you that we are enough in him. We love you and praise you in his holy name.